When Shannon Gilbert went missing, her family and loved ones were seeking answers. They wanted to know what happened to her that fateful night on May 1st, 2010, after arriving at Oak Beach to meet a client. How she was seemingly frightened for her life and ran out into the pitch black darkness of the brambles along the southern shore of Long Island. How she was missing for nearly two years before her skeletal remains were found. But the discovery left the Gilbert family with more questions. Cops in Suffolk County insisted that Shannon's death was the result of an accidental drowning. But even that theory proved to be inconclusive. Her mother, Mari Gilbert, believed that there was more, a better explanation behind her daughter's death. She challenged the police findings and pushed to have the case reopened as a murder investigation. But Mari needed help. She needed an advocate to help her navigate the criminal justice system in Suffolk County. Enter attorney John Ray. He signed on to be the Gilbert family attorney back in 2011 and is still fighting for answers to this very day. In this bonus podcast episode of Grim Tide, Hunting the Long Island Serial Killer, we speak with John Ray and learn why he first got involved with this case and why he's still working towards finding those answers. It was back in April of 2021 when I sat down with attorney John Ray at his office near the North Shore of Suffolk County to discuss his decade-long involvement in the Lisk case. Ray has been practicing law for nearly 40 years. In addition to his skills as a litigator, Ray is also known for dressing with a bit of flair. He can often be seen at press conferences or interviews dressed to the nines, often wearing a bowler hat and blazers with elaborate patterns. When first speaking to Ray, you quickly become aware of how well-versed in the law he is, as well as the list case. You can also instantly see the compassion he has for the families of the victims. How long have you been practicing law? I've been practicing law since 1983. I'm going into my 39th year. Congratulations. Thank you. What type of law do you practice? I practice all litigation, majority of civil uh, work, but a minority of criminal work. Mm -hmm. And I've done that for all this time. So you know why we're here. We're here to talk to you about Shannon Gilbert, the Long Island serial killer case and all that that entails that you can speak to us about. Certainly. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved um, with this case? Well, I had had quite a few high-profile cases, so I was familiar with the media. Mm -hmm. And there was a shooting called the Medford Pharmacy shooting several years ago Mm -hmm. in, in 2010. And I was the lawyer for the little children who were the victims of the shooter, of the killer, of five people. At the sentencing for for that case, I spoke on behalf of the girls, and I channeled them, actually. And one of the reporters from, I believe it was the Daily News, buttonholed me afterward and said, listen, you know, he, he knew who I was, but he, he said, uh, can you help me on another matter? And I, sure. And we, I went with him to meet Mary Gilbert in a bar in Central Islip, We hit it off, and I just told her that I would help her to get the FBI involved because the Suffolk County police were bungling the job. And this was known by then. Mm -hmm. So my role was to simply call a press conference and invite the FBI to come in. 
And what what is the date on this? Where is that timeline? That, that took place in December of 2011, and that's right after Shannon's uh, remains had been found. Mm-hmm. So I called the press conference, and you know we wrote to the FBI and, and to the U.S. attorney. We were blocked completely, and I thought that was the end of it. I had no further involvement. However, then homicide detective from Suffolk County named Vincent Steffen, who worked on the case and was a union official, Mm -hmm. wrote me a two-page single-space letter revealing what he said was on the tape, the 911 tape of Shannon Gilbert, and criticizing me for my press conference and making disparaging comments. So this contact comes right away. It does. From Stefan, okay. It, right away. He, I can't imagine why they felt the need for, me to do, for them to do that and send me this letter when I, was, I wasn't in any case yet. There was no case pending. Nonetheless, it was a bizarre development. So it not only piqued my interest, but it basically ticked me off. And, you know, it got up my Irish heritage. And I said, okay, you want to fight? We'll fight. And I went in and worked for Mary, and then I got drawn, drawn into the case more and more by the evidence, and here I am. Did you feel that his reaching out to you was in any way threatening, or was he just giving you a piece of his mind? He was giving me a piece of the police department's mind, and it wasn't threatening, mm-hmm. but it was insulting, and it was meant to be, mm-hmm. and there was no reason for it. I mean, it's true I insulted the police department. I called them the Pink Panther investigation, and that... Commissioner Dorma was Inspector Cluso, but so what? I mean, attorneys do things like that all the time, so they had no need to do that. Mm -hmm. But what I think they did in writing me that letter was whoever was in charge. And then only several days after they wrote me this personal letter, they published the same letter in Newsday. And so that was their public spin and has remained so until I was able to shift their attention by the constant work that we did on the case up until now, where they now say it's an open, ongoing criminal investigation. So I, action is what was necessary. And so I stepped in uh, to the investigation myself for Mary Gilbert, and Mary and I began to work on the actual evidence. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up, of course, um, going to the ultimate medical examiner's autopsy meeting with the family of Mary Gilbert, of Shannon Gilbert. Another point of contention for Ray was the way investigators had handled Shannon's autopsy and eventual determination as to a cause of death. Back in 2014, Ray recruited renowned forensic pathologist Michael Bodden to conduct an independent autopsy. It was during that examination of the body that Bodden noticed that the hyoid, a small horseshoe-shaped bone in the neck, had a rough edge, something indicative of a fracture. Bodden believed that the fracture was likely caused by a compression to the neck, something that would occur if the person was being strangled. Ray says that Bodden's autopsy shows that Shannon did not die of accidental drowning. I know that the police department through their commissioner said that she died by drowning before they even found the body and when we examine the water there it seems like you'd have to actually put your face in the water and suck the water in in order to drown so that seems very unlikely and she was found 
laying on a bush, according to the medical examiner herself, she was found laying on a bush on a slight angle on her back with her head up. The actual medical examiner's report says she was found with her head uh, turned to the side, but up, you know, not facing down. Right. As would happen. Not turned over. Not turned over as would happen in a drowning. Right. Okay. Her head was facing to the side and the rest of her body was turned sort of the other way or the lower part of her body was turned the other way. Sorry. And that's it. So that's not consistent with a drowning. Mm -hmm. Besides, there's a test that they could have taken called the diatomaceous test that's expensive, but it could have been done on her bones that might have shown that she drowned if if she did. Mm -hmm. And they didn't take the test. They never did the test. Now, with Michael Bodden's determination of his autopsy, it changes things for them, too. No. 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 Okay. No, No. No. The police department has taken two sides. It speak with forked tongue, okay? Because in what they've done is they said, oh, now that, that Biden has said that, and it's in their writing. They actually say this to the court. Now that Biden has concluded this, it's now an open, active, ongoing criminal investigation. And in the same breath, in other parts of their same papers, they say it's never been determined what her cause of death is. So they take both positions self-contradictorily, and they don't seem to care. That's their position. They've never explained what... Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. What they mean by that? Ray and Bodden had helped Mari Gilbert confirm her suspicions surrounding her daughter's death. Ray recalls the first time he met Shannon's mother and why he decided to help her. He says Mari lived a very complicated life, but possessed a certain nobility. He represented Mari as an attorney up until 2016 when she was murdered by her other daughter, Sarah. What did you make of Mary the first time you met her? When I met Mary in a bar, she was, I thought, a victim, and she seemed there was a certain sadness about her, Mm -hmm. but she was sincere. And she was surprisingly uh, mentally sophisticated person. Mm-hmm. She had, she seemed to have not had a good life, from what I could gather from her at that point. And she was in deeply involving herself in the practice of witchcraft. She even had her license plate was Wicca 22. And all this we talked about when I first met her. But our goals were the same. And I thought I, I could, I liked her. I, I, I hit it off with her, and I think she liked me too. You know, there's been varying accounts of what type of mother she was, how involved of a mother she was, and then how that transitioned to after her daughter's death, you know, she kind of took on a different role. She wasn't that involved before from some accounts. Is that what you learned? Mary had a rough life, and, you know, her children were all put into foster care on and off. Mm-hmm. Over years, there were boyfriends that lived at the home who did terrible things, and the kids had a rough life. Mary had a rough life. She was struggling to keep her family together to make a living for them. So she she had a bumpy ride, but I think that her nobility emerged as this case proceeded because she attempted to rebuild and restructure her relationship with each of her daughters 
and to become a much better mother mm -hmm. devoted to her children when she was finally slaughtered by her daughter. It's such a sad ending for that part of the story. Tell me a little bit about that, how that happened. Well, poor Sarah, who had real deep psychological troubles. And Sarah is the youngest daughter or? Sarah's the, the second uh, okay. daughter, okay. right? And uh, Sarah had serious mental problems since she was a little girl. She was sexually abused by Mary's boyfriend on a daily basis for years. She was like a little girl left on her own. And so she had mental breakdowns. And she began to imagine from the witchcraft that her mother was possessed by a demon and that the demon was dangerous and had to be killed. She hallucinated. She, she went through very bad times. This is all a matter of pub public record. So I'm not speaking out of turn. Mm -hmm. She went through very serious mental problems. And two years before she killed Mary, she was already talking about killing Mary and because of the demon and uh, killing other demons that were all around her. And then when she really lost it because she wasn't on her meds and she should have been on her meds, she slaughtered her mother in a terrible, terrible way. Were they living together? They were not living together, but they were living nearby one another, and mm -hmm. Mary would frequently go to her home. And it happened in her home? It happened in, in Sarah's home. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a brutal slaughter. I've never seen anything like it. I was in Sweden when it, this happened, so I got the call, and I flew right home, and I went to the scene and so forth right away, and I stepped in to represent Sarah. Now, I had been representing Mary, but now Mary's gone, and this is her child. So I stepped in to help her, and I ended up representing her on the murder case. Tell me her status now. She's in prison, but in the, the mental part, mm -hmm. you know, where they put people who have diff mental troubles. Mm -hmm. She calls me, we chat. Is she aware of what she's done? Sarah is aware of what she's done. And, but Sarah has mental problems that make it impossible for her to grasp the full uh, meaning of what she has done. Mm -hmm. Leading up to Mary's death, was Mary ever afraid of her daughter? She knew that she had these problems and potential for violence if she had been talking about it and with the dog and all of that. Was she ever afraid of her? Did she go into the house that day <clears throat> fearful or completely blindsided? That's where I say her nobility, Mary's nobility came out because she knew her daughter threatened to kill her many times. She knew her daughter was capable of it. She knew about the dog. She knew all of this. And knowing that, out of her love for her daughter, when Sarah finally had her mental collapse that led to the slaughter, mm -hmm. Mary willingly went to Sarah's home to comfort her and to help her. Mm -hmm. And she knew what she was walking into. Ray still represents the estate of Shannon Gilbert to this day and is still seeking answers surrounding the mystery of her death. He's not earning any money for the work he puts in, doing it with the same sort of spirit that was perhaps inspired by the nobility he witnessed in Mari. Let's talk about uh, the status of the case and round that bend of taking us to the present day. I've organized a team finally. We tried to organize a team in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Originally, it was just my firm. And then I tried to expand it to people who had some knowledge and seemed to be interested. And we had a meeting here 
for that to happen. They all flaked away, and some of them weren't all right in the head. Mm -hmm. So we ignored them, and we that disappeared. Then I was on my own for years working mm -hmm. this. But a former homicide detective of Suffolk County, who was an old friend of my, mine, just an acquaintance, but I had when I was a teacher before I was a lawyer long ago, as a young man, I had his children as students, mm -hmm. uh, one of whom is a Suffolk County cop in the DA's office now. And I went to him, and he came forward. His name's Bill Mahoney, and agreed to help out. And he's been helping ever since. Mm -hmm. We now have another fellow. Um, I'm not sure he wants me to use his name, but he's a very prominent former homicide, retired homicide detective of Suffolk County. Mm -hmm. He offered me, he just contacted me and said he's been following the case on TV and so forth in the media, and he was very impressed with the work we did and said, or that I did, and he said he would wanted to help out. So I recruited him. We have him. We have other one or two other people who are knowledgeable in things like um, technology, mm -hmm. forensics, who are also assisting. Are you working on this case weekly, monthly? We work daily? on it daily. You know, I have to run a real life, and, and mm -hmm. I don't get paid for any of Gilbert's work. So I put in thousands of hours at this point. I can't tell you how many people I've deposed and how much money it's cost. And gosh, I can't tell you how much work it's been. But we still work daily on it as much as we can. And now we're trying to gin it up again and get going and put more time in than we used to to get to the bottom of it. What's it going to take to solve this case? Well, Is it somebody coming forward? Is it a new police commissioner? In the end, I can't solve the case because I'm not a cop. And even if the cops solve the case, you have to know that just like with the Jack the Ripper case or the, the Kennedy assassination, there'll be those who say, no, nah, you didn't really solve the case, mm -hmm. no matter how close we come to it. There'll always be that because of the nature of this case and the nature of the police's poor behavior mm -hmm. in investigating it. Nobody will ever believe them. Mm -hmm. But... That aside, what does it take to solve the case? You heard the policeman say on the 10th anniversary in December on the television, the, the, one of the police chiefs of the detectives in the DA's office saying, well, we're hoping for a deathbed confession. <laughs> that You might as well just give up if that's what you're doing. And that's not what we're doing. That's not what I'm doing. Instead, yes, we hope somebody will come forward. We keep st stirring and stirring and stirring and keeping the public involved through your medium, that works. That's why I talk about it. I have the opposite approach than, that the police have. Maybe that's why we're not getting along because their approach is to be silent and tight. I can't tell you how many people connected to this case I've taken over their own cases where they have troubles with the law for free in order to get them to help and cooperate mm -hmm. with me. And it, it, it works. We're getting more evidence. There's no question that Ray is dedicated to finding answers for Mari, even after her death, and explains his motivations in obtaining closure for the families of Shannon Gilbert and the Gilgo Four. It's been over a decade. You have been at it. You have not stopped. And it doesn't sound like you're going to stop. What keeps you going to find answers in this case? I've become devoted to the case because I know from my experience in law all these years, the true suffering of the victims in this case. And I have no disregard or disrespect for them because they were sex workers. To the contrary, they're children of God, 
like you are and I am. The way I'm able to represent, I've represented plenty of murderers, all right, and I've represented my share of other criminals. And the way I'm able to do that is because I look at them and see inside them a child, mm -hmm. inside of each one of them a child. They were once all children, and they were innocent. So something changed, but they're still here on earth and they're still entitled to be the children that they were. And that's how I can help them. And when I see these, this little girl and her sad little sister, Sarah, and I see what they, the suffering that they went through and the life in which they were raised, does anybody believe that they're not entitled to justice? Does anybody believe that? When you hear what they went through? I didn't grow up like that. You didn't. That's why we're able to be where we are. They didn't know how to put three meals on a table. And look at the horrible suffering. Do they deserve justice? Otherwise, what is justice? So I'm sticking at it until we get to it. And I will stick at it as long as I'm alive. I'm Laura Ingall, and you have been listening to a bonus episode of Grim Tide, hunting the Long Island serial killer. Until next time. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.